Good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. We're glad that you're with us. If you're a visitor, welcome home. This is a nice place to be. My wife and I have only been here four months. I know it seems much longer. We've only been here four months, but we feel at home among you, and we love what you do. This is the first church we've ever been to that had a special needs VBS, and that just absolutely um, fascinates me, but it also makes me quite proud of of a group that would do this. And so, great. We're glad you're here. We hope that you continue to be with us. If you, we're going to have some verses up on, uh, on the screen, obviously, today. We always do. But if you've got your Bibles, your iPad, your iPod, your um, generic tablet you bought at a cheap place, whatever you, you have, <laughs> this, this would be a good time to, to get to Hebrews. We're going to, we're going to take a look at something in Hebrews in a bit. It's really fascinating. Now, don't read ahead and spoil the ending for everybody. We're, we're going to be in Hebrews in just a bit. But before we do, two things. The, the uh, series this summer, the, the Bible class series, How We Got Here, is not about human origins. It's about our church, our people, and not just Fourth Avenue. We're talking about the restoration movement. We're going to talk a little bit about history, well, a lot about history, but about the attitudes and such that, that took us this direction and that direction and this direction and that direction. And, of course, every generation thinks they've found the magic one, and then the next generation comes along, and we're going to look at all of that. And it should help you answer some of your questions about what the churches of Christ are, who, why, why there's such variety and the like. The, uh, also, the question boxes are back. Uh, we pulled those for, you know, Palm Sunday and Easter and, all, and graduation Sunday. You know, who does that kid think they are for graduating? We, we don't want that in there. <laughs> Remember what these are. You have question uh, forms in the back of your pews. I do get quite a few questions each week. Uh, a few of them are the ones we're looking for. Here's what we're looking for. The questions about the sermon. All right. <laughs> And then the next week, our, what we do is we answer the questions about the sermon, then we do the next sermon, all right? That's the way it is. Now, the other questions are very good, but we're going to save those and perhaps do a series of, um, do a special Wednesday night series or something to cover some of those this fall, all right? That said, let's begin by looking at the middle of the faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 15 and 16. Wow, I actually hear pages turning rather than thump, thump, thump. That's, that's interesting. I'll never forget while you're looking for Hebrews. It's in the New Testament now. Um, they, um, we, we had in Colorado, we had all of our little kids come up to sing a couple songs for the, the Christmas thing, as, as they do on a Sunday morning. And we had big uh, video monitors sitting right up front. And one of the kids, about four years old, saw the video monitors, got so excited, ran right down, plopped in front of it, started swiping furiously, <laughs> turned around behind him and yelled real loud, you guys want to see a movie? And, and it wouldn't work. So he actually cursed real loud. So we knew what his home life was like, finally, you know. <laughs> his parents are horrified. Everyone else is laughing. I turned to my wife and I said, best Christmas ever. <laughs> So now that you've found it, if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, 
for he has prepared a city for them. Wow. God is not ashamed to be called their God. Wouldn't you, do you get chills to even think of that? They weren't looking to the past saying, we liked it better back then. Saying, no, come on forward. God's great grace. He's even going to mention in verse 31 here, the prostitute Rahab, and he's going to praise her. It's a fascinating story, Rahab, actually. I'm going to talk about that at Lipscomb for the summer celebration, which is done at the, um, it's, it's always the first bit of July, but it actually starts June 30th. It's, uh, they've asked me to do the bit on, they're doing the book of Joshua, and they've asked me to do the book on uh, the part of Rahab, and I went, whew, because that's actually the best part of Joshua. The rest of it's pretty brutal. And you might think, when you have a book that the best part of it's the prostitute, yeah, it really is. Because here is a glimpse of grace right in the middle of all the bloodbath. Here's a woman who is among the people God said, kill them all, according to Joshua. And yet God says, don't kill her. She's a prostitute. To save the spies, she lies. You ever notice that? You got any spies up there in a straw? Nope, not a one. We checked for spies yesterday. And God blesses her for it. You know, the thing, we try to make God a two-dimensional cartoon cutout. He's a lot more complicated than that. And so we have here an amazing woman. In fact, more than this, when she was first saved, she and her family, the book of Joshua says, and they put her and her family safely in their own place outside the camp. We'll save her, but she's not good enough to live here. What did God do? Eventually brought her in to the point where she gets married. They have a son named Boaz who marries a Moabite woman, which if you're doing genealogy now, you realize that this person's about one-eighth Jew when they're born, and yet they're the forefather of Jesus Christ. God has a way to work his story of grace in. It's troubled a lot of folk. Doesn't trouble me. I need every bit of grace I can get. And if God's willing to save a prostitute in Jericho, we're in. <laughs> and I'm so happy about that. To make, to, to make her, her decision, to make her decision to trust God wasn't an accident. It wasn't one day she woke up in a camp outside the Israelite camp and God, oh, how'd I get here? That was a complete accident. I tripped, saved some slaves. No, it was a purposeful life. It was a series of decisions. Sins like that too. Sometimes we sin by accident, but most of the time when we sin, it's a series of decisions that gets us there. It's also a series of decisions that gets us to where we want to be in God. That's why we're going to Hebrews chapter 11. I love Hebrews chapter 11. In fact, to be honest, Hebrews is in the running for my favorite book in the New Testament because it just absolutely elevates Jesus Christ like no other book in the New Testament does. It is amazing. 
And it's, it's anonymous as well. We don't know who wrote it. Some people say, well, probably Paul can't have been Paul. There are some things written in there that Paul said he never did or said. So, no, it could be Barnabas. There's some people think it was Priscilla. That's why she left her name off. You know, I don't know. All I know is I love this book. And I love Hebrews chapter 11. And I want some of you people who were gifted with faith to listen to me now. Some of you were gifted with faith. You really were. You, you came out of the womb when the, when the doctor, you know, slapped you on the rear end. You just went, praise Jesus. I don't know why I'm hurting right now, but I believe God has a plan and everything that he's doing. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good, you know. You were just like that from birth. Some of us aren't like that. Some of us wake up this morning and go, oh, are you serious? I'm still on this side of the dirt. I got to do this again. Comedian actor Bill Murray tweeted recently, every morning when I wake up and get out of bed, I think this is the worst, most hardest thing ever. Yeah, there are some of us like this too. And in Hebrews chapter 11, doesn't tell you, just believe. It says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You want me to believe something? Show me. Show me the evidence. I can show you evidence and substance for God. I can show you evidence and substance for Scripture and miracles and all that other, but don't ask me just to believe. God doesn't either. He says, I'm going to lay it out for you. There are going to be some things you're not going to see, but you're going to see enough. You're going to see enough to know there's something there. Evidence and substance. By the way, don't be afraid to wrestle with God. I've had people say, you can't question God. Seriously? Have you read the Old Testament? It's a, it's a big series of books. It's usually right in the front of the New Testament, unless you've got one of those New Testaments with Psalms. I'm not really sure how Psalms made the cut. But read all of the Old because one-third of the Psalms are questioning God. They're lament Psalms. And what did he name his favorite people? Israel. You know what the word Israel means? The one who wrestles with God. He likes it. He wants us to wrestle with him, to search. Who were the only people that Jesus was angry at in his life? The religiously smug who thought they had it figured out. The rest of us that are, that are looking at God and going, seriously? He'll work with us because we've engaged him. He also honors those who align their hearts and their heads with him. Now, have you ever noticed this? Head and heart often don't align your head can say, I need to lose weight. Your heart can say, there's chocolate in the refrigerator. <laughs> you ever notice that? In fact, that heart can get very strong. Sometimes we can say, God, I know I need to lose weight. But you, you come home and you realize, I just bought eclairs. And if you don't know what eclairs are, are you a Christian? And, and you, you can even say, God, I know I shouldn't have bought these eclairs. And what do you do with them? You put them in a the refrigerator to plan for the moment you will be weak later. <laughs> Head and heart. I had one person, we sang a song today, George, that I had a person come up to me when we were in Detroit, very upset. He says, we sing, we stand and lift up our hands, but we don't do it. I said, well, you know, some people don't lift their hands. He goes, but we're lying to God. I said, well, the next line says, we bow down. Did you? 
Well, no. I did that inside. I said, well, they're lifting inside. Go for it. <laughs> Sometimes it is hard to get your head with the song, isn't it? Head and heart together. Sometimes isn't it hard to get your head and heart together in anything? But when you do, you are whole, which is the root for the word holy, holistic. It is when you integrate all aspects of your character, whether it is your, your in, including your intellect, your emotions, your money, your lifestyle, all of this, then you are a person of integrity and you are whole, holy. God has called us not just to behave, not just to be good, but to be holy. He wants us to be all in. Now, the teens, some of them live tweet the sermon. So make sure you put all in. And also make sure that the people you, that you're tweeting to know that I'm cool and I actually own a radio. Uh, all right, a radio is what we used to listen to music on. But anyway, the point is, if you have a radio, you cannot turn it on without hearing John Legend's uh, song, All of Me Loves All of You. Have you heard it? If you haven't, they don't own a radio. They've got an MP3 player, and it's sad. It's got five songs. Anyway, the... Uh, all of me loves all of you. And it talks about your imperfections, all your perfect imperfections. And it's a great song. It's a fantastic love song. And trust me, you're going to be hearing it at weddings. You're going to be hearing it in elevators. There's one time I was in an elevator. I wanted to call 911. I'd like to report a murder. They just killed that song. That was... <laughs> I think Kenny G should be hunted down. But the point... God wants to hear it. When you look at somebody and you go, I love you with all my heart, you don't want them to look back at you and say, and I believe that you frequently approach acceptable levels. You want all, don't you? God wants all of you wholly in. You're all in. That's what he's going for. So there's a clue to this and how to do this in the book of Hebrews, and that's why I wanted you to have it open to chapter 11. There's a linguistic pattern here. If you find it, it's like a light bulb goes off. And you go, I got it now. Verse 4, by faith Abel brought. In verse 5, by faith Enoch pleased God. Verse 7, by faith Noah built an ark. That's an act of faith there. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed. He went. By faith, he made his home in the promised land. By faith, verse 9, Sarah was enabled to bear children. And when you're in your 90s, that's the only way you're going to bear children is by faith. Because physiologically, that's just not going to happen. Verse 17, skipping down some. By faith, Abraham offered Isaac. Verse 20, by faith, Abraham blessed Jacob and Esau. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob blessed Joseph's sons. Verse 22, by faith, Joseph spoke, gave instructions. Verse 23, by faith, Moses' parents hid him. Verse 24, by faith, Moses refused to be known as the Pharaoh's uh, son, and keeps going on, chose to be mistreated, was looking forward to his reward, left Egypt, kept the Passover. Verse 29, by faith, 
the people passed through the Red Sea. Verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell. That's a fantastic story, by the way. Verse 31, by faith, Rahab welcomed the spies. Did you get it? By faith, and there's a verb. By faith, a verb. They didn't just have an intellectual assent that there was a God. Uh, let me explain that. Um, most people in this room have not been to France. That's all right. It's not required. But you believe that there is a France. However, this morning you did not get up and choose your clothing thinking, I'd better, uh, I'd better not wear that. There's a France. And whenever you had a certain emotion while driving or while eating breakfast or the like, you didn't think, I shouldn't say that, there's a France. In other words, you believe there's a France, but it has no impact on your behavior. Sadly, that's the way most people believe in God. They believe in God, but it's merely intellectual assent. There's no impact on their behavior. You and I are called to be holy, integrated all. When we believe that there is a God, there will be verbs verb will happen how about this when they added a verb to their faith look what happened to them in hebrews 11 starting at verse 33 who through faith i love this passage conquered kingdoms administered justice gained what was promised shot the mouth of lions quenched the fury of the flames escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. That's pretty good right there. By faith, verbs. And what was God's response? Verbs. You get a conquer, you get life, you get resurrected, you get the rewards. God responds to our verbs with his verbs. These people had God step up as a witness that they were holy because their faith had a verb attached. Do you remember that phrase? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. They became heirs of righteousness. They received the inheritance. They did not see death. Now, here's where we get very, very nervous. There's a great tension in Scripture and in our faith in the religious world between faith and works. Some churches teach an evie believism that doesn't require anything from you but intellectual assent. As long as you believe God, show up at church, you're good. Others pile so many rules, so many rules, so many burdens, as Jesus put it, they tie burdens on the back of others that they themselves cannot bear and end up going around the world to find a convert merely to make them as much a child of hell as they are. So it's not works that save us. We all agree with this, do we not? We are saved by grace through faith. That not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. But that faith does not just sit there doing nothing. That faith requires a response. I know that my wife loves me. That requires a response. If I just sit in the chair, never responding, that's called ingratitude. When God loves us and we love him, there will be a response. We respond to him somehow. 
Pharisees were not. But neither are we in Evie believism that says no verbs required. So we're going to take a look at a longer passage now. James chapter 2, starting at verse 14. James 2, 14. We're going to read because it takes a while to read. But it's important to read. James 2, 14 through 24. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? There's no verb. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish people. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions, faith and actions, were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. I know, I know that so many very well-meaning people who love Jesus will tell you we are saved by faith alone. But the only time the phrase faith alone is found in Scripture, it says we're not saved by faith alone. There needs to be a verb. But what if you're thinking, well, I... That's, that sounds like you're going to throw rules and proceed. No, no. What I'm going to say is this. Love requires a response. Absolutely. Did you ever date anybody and you, you got really overwhelmed with things and you said, I love you, and they said, thank you? How'd that feel? That never happened to me. I heard about it. Uh, but the point <laughs> I'm trying to make is that, ooh, if you love somebody, there's a response. God said to love the world. What's your response? He said love not the world. When he, by the way, let me explain that. Because Jesus said love the world, and he said love not the world. And people get very confused. It's because we speak English. We said love the world. He meant people, things, uh, like, like people. And you're allowed to love birds and the like. When he said, love not the world, he used a time word, which meant, meant in their culture, the way the world does business. Don't love the way the world does business, but you're allowed to love bunnies if you'd like. You're, allowed, you're supposed to love people. So what's your verb? How do you show that you're a Christian? Do you remember back in the days of the Cold War? Sorry, you won't know it. It's a war that took place in December. The Cold War, do the older people remember this? And do you remember they used to say Russia could take over at any minute? And if they made Christianity illegal, was there enough evidence against you to convict you? And we're all sitting there going, I don't know. 
I go to church. You know, that's, we are frightened of this sort of thing. Um, I'm not trying to throw guilt on you. What I'm trying to say is God made a very unique person when he made you. He's never going to make you again. He's never made you before. This is it. What's your verb? What, what, what's your verb going to be today? Now, your verb may not be what you want it to be. This next story is very hard to believe, but trust me, it happened. I call upon everybody, every church I've ever worked on, to find your verbs and put them to work. And this lady came up to me very angry. That happens a lot. And she said, you tell everybody that there's a place for their, their verb here and their ministry here, but nobody's ever given my daughter a place for her ministry. And I went, I'm very sorry. She, the daughter was standing right there. I said, what, what's the ministry? And she said, you can't make this up, people. My daughter is, is gifted by God as, as, as a wonderful mime, and she wants to use that in ministry. I, I wanted to say she should have said something, but that seemed... <laughs> it seemed disrespectful somehow. That was about 10 years ago, and I still can't figure out how to use mime in ministry. But... Go for it, you know, all right, you were in a box, and then Jesus came. I'm not sure how, but I'm not talking about a life calling here when I say find your verb. In a little bit, we're going to be done here and go to connection class, and there'll be people say hi to you. What's your verb? How are you going to treat that person? A little bit later, you're going to go to a restaurant, perhaps some of you, and there'll be waiters and waitresses there that are working for nothing. I mean, it's pitiful. How are you going to treat them? What's your verb? Then later on, you're going to have opportunity to spend money sometime this week. What's your verb going to be? How are you going to do it? Where are you going to send it? How you break it down? You love God. What's your verb? You have faith. What's your verb? Find your verb in every single situation. Find the faith response verb. Because God wants you to be all in. We're not Christians because we do certain things. We do certain things because we're Christian. Faith response. Hebrews chapter 12 shows you how to do it. We're not going to go through that as detailed as we did before. But look at the very first. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Well, how do you do that? Well, verse 12 of chapter 12, work on what you need to work on. Find what you need to work on. Hebrews 12, 12. I remember when we moved into our house in Detroit that, that was a, it was a snowy, cold January when we moved in. Took my son outside after all the boxes were inside. It was dark, cold. And I looked at him and I said, Duncan, it's our job to break into this house. We need to find the weak points. And we found a hollow core door on the outside. We're going, that's not a good thing. Because if you want to be secure, you need to know what are your weak points. Scripture says you want to be holy in, to, in your response in these verbs? You better shore up the weak points. Remember, God, Paul didn't tell Timothy 
to be strong in the face of lust. He said, run. Sometimes you need to know what your verb should be. Verse 13, don't make it harder than it has to be. That's what that make level paths for your feet mean. Don't make this harder than it has to be. Let's, we can talk about that later. Verse 14, make peace and holiness the main goal of your life. Peace and holiness, that's your goal. Earning a living and all that other, that'll happen. But your goal is peace and holiness. Verse 15, refuse to be bitter. Oh, if we could just get Christians to quit being bitter, we could do so much more with the world. Verse 16, don't sell your life cheaply. Make sure that your life matters, and it matters if there are verbs. And then we'll read these, verses 18, 19, 22, and 23. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and it's burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the holy God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. It's all right to be joyful because that's what church is like in heaven. You may as well get used to it now because you don't want to be the one in heaven standing there going, I'm not really sure <laughs> that this is proper. God wants you to be all in. One more story, then we're going to go into family prayer time. I used to be a very, very harsh, far-to-the-right preacher, and I did it because I thought that's what God wanted me to do. I don't judge those on the left, right, or the middle, because I know that they're trying to please God. But you need to know that about me to understand the story. My wife and I were getting ready to go back to Scotland to live for a while, and we were in Norfolk, Virginia, which is a United States Navy town. And so half the congregation, or at least, was Navy. And I remember once, I was standing at the door, we, because that's what preachers did. You know, I don't know if we were sorting them left and right, but we were there. And here come two sailors with this very excited young man between them, very tall, thin, excited young man. Now, I don't know what the rules are now, but back then, a foreign person could join the American military and get a leg up on becoming a citizen later. And so this is a foreign person. They said, this is Antonio. We've been studying the Bible with him, and we're gonna, he wants to be baptized today. And Antonio leapt forward and hugged me, which I'm going, oh, okay. You know, Italian and Scots, it's, it's, it's like an, an, an irresistible force, immovable object. But anyway... He hugged me. He goes, my name's Antonio. I'm going to be baptized. And I'm saying, well, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss this later. And he, he goes inside. And so I, he goes inside. So the later time comes, and I stand up to preach, and he comes forward. Not at the end. He got up when I got up. And he stood right there. And he looked at me. Kind of. Now, I came from a church where you had to do everything right or God killed you. So <laughs> I looked at him, looked down, looked at him, looked down, and everybody was, but I, I felt like I needed to do the sermon, so the five acts of worship, six if you count announcements, but I had to get this done. So I did a sermon a little bit abbreviated, stepped down, he just stood by me, 
while I'm asking people to come forward. They, everybody stand, and so I, I guided him over as people are singing, sitting down. I'm hoping it's just as I am, so we have some time. And I, I say, Antonio, what do you want me to do for you? He goes, I want you to baptize me. And I said, all right, okay. Uh, and I'm going to ask you a few questions, but in a minute, I'm going to take you over to that door. And he took off. He was headed for the door. I grabbed him. I said, no, we, we, I got to find out if you really want to be bad. He, um, he got loose, and he, he, went, he went into the doorway. Now, our baptistry was on a second floor. Uh, give God a better view. And um, there, there was a, a bit of glass on the front of it, so you, all the people could make sure you went under, I guess. I'm not really sure how that worked. And communion table is down here. You need to get that in your mind. Now, he goes in. He heads to the baptistry. I grab him. I said, no, you have to get in these other clothes. He said, why? Um, these are the clothes of iniquity. <laughs> you must put on the robes of holiness. And he, he goes, okay, he took off. Now, we weren't one of the trout fishing churches where the preacher puts on with the waiters. We... The, the preacher had to put on other clothes, and I'm in there just getting dressed as fast as I can, knowing he's going to beat me. <laughs> I get out there, and he's already starting, and I grab the back of the elastic and pull. I say, no, i got to go in first. He says, why? <laughs> to drive the demons from the water. <laughs> So I go in, I turn around, and he is in the pike position. I went, no, no. I had to hold him out of the water. Think of this. I was keeping him from the water so we could do this right. God forgave me. I'm pulling him down. He's trying to get under. And he's, he's, I stu he stood there, and, and he put his feet up. I'm holding him. I said, I have to say my words. <laughs> and he was going, I want to be baptized. And I go, I, I got, this is my only gig. Um, <laughs> so he puts his foot up against the side and shops. And we both go under. <laughs> A wave comes over. <laughs> the glass. It hits the Lord's Supper and scatters all the emblems. And my first thought, God forgive me, my first thought was, I just baptized him and he's already lost. Look what, because it wasn't decent and in order. I want to be less like Patrick and I want to be more like Antonio. I want to be all in. I want my verbs to show I believe in Jesus. That I have no fear of man. I have no fear of tradition. I have no fear of anybody. But God himself and him, I don't have to be afraid of. So I'm going to show my verbs. I don't want to love Cammy from a distance, carefully, decently, and in order. That We ripped that out of context so horribly. I want to be all in. 
I want to love Fourth Avenue, all in. I want to love Franklin and Williamson County, all in. We have got to be people whose faith has a verb. Are you in?